Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer. Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast. Strong opinions, somewhat weekly held. <laughs> I'm your host, Tim Curley, and I'm joined by my co-host for the first time in a while, Colton Pierce. Colton, how are we doing on this glorious, victorious Saturday? Oh, we are doing phenomenal. I mean, well, uh, you got to talk. Oh, well, and I'll let you. You'll you can talk about your team. My team actually played like dog crap today, um, but we keep. We brought it back. We were able to get the win from down 1-0 and then score two goals in soccer with the la- within the last five minutes. Um, we were living on borrowed time, that's for sure. We were able to get it done. Uh, we won 2-1 to one against a team that we definitely should have beat, um, and we were down 1-0 for a majority of the game. So uh, feels good, uh, but the team needs to make lots of adjustments for weeks to come. But... Still feeling good. I'm ahead on my fantasy league right now. Uh, score points. So um, we play fantasy soccer. I know some of you guys are like, what the heck? Who plays fantasy <laughs> soccer? Um, we do. Uh, and I'm currently beating an unbeaten guy right now. So um, hopefully it stays true through tomorrow. So how about you, Tim? Oh, it's great. So I'm a Sooner fan. I think we've talked about it. And uh they got absolutely demolished and embarrassed last year. It was like 47 to nothing. It was one of the worst Oklahoma losses ever. Uh, came in today, ranked 12th. Uh, Texas ranked third a couple weeks after a pretty handy, handle, handily. Uh, handling of Alabama. <laughs> yeah, handling <laughs> Alabama. Yeah, I was going to say, they, they beat Alabama rather handily in Tuscaloosa, so uh, my team had looked pretty good, but they hadn't played anybody like Texas, and I just didn't think this was going to be the year yet, but they came out and played great from the opening drive and actually had a 10-point lead at one point and then lost the 10-point lead and then lost, uh, you know, tied the game up. Then Texas took the lead with a minute and a half left, and I'm and I already knew your. I had seen your score, and I'm thinking, damn it, your team snatched victory from the jaws of defeat, and mine's gonna snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Uh, but they got the ball, marched down the field, and scored a touchdown, and that was that. And it was a great game, not just in terms of the outcome, but they just, despite giving up the lead in the fourth quarter, they played their butts off they i think they overall outplayed texas the defense was really really good so um very happy i haven't been this happy and optimistic about oklahoma football in a long long time and if you know something about college football you're probably thinking well they win the big 12 all the time and go to the playoff every year we win the big since about the mid to late two since the late 2000s every year we win the big 12 we go to the playoff, and I know we're going to get embarrassed by o- Ohio State or one of the SEC teams. So this is the first time I felt like, okay, then I think this team could actually, I don't know if they're going to make the playoff, but if they did, this is the first time I felt like, I think they could actually handle themselves. So, yeah. so great, great, great day. 
Now, we're burying the lead, though, because this is the first time you've been back since you've had your baby. So how's that going? Uh, it's going good. Um, our baby actually sleeps through the night. So sorry for anybody out there that doesn't know. Like my wife. So this is the first time, I guess, since I've been back. But my wife had like pretty much near like a perfect birth situation. Um, we didn't have to get sent home. Um, she, we, we, when we sent her to, when we took her to the hospital, she was in a lot of pain, obviously. Um, but she had only dilated to a one. Um, and then she was able to get to a three within an hour. Um, and so we knew that like baby was coming that day. So, um, so we didn't get sent home. Uh, so, uh, she got to stay in the hospital. Um, we were there since 4 a.m. And then, uh, by 4 p.m., so 12 hours later, she was ready to rock and roll. Um, and she only had to like legitimately labor for about seven minutes was her total labor time as far as like the pushing and all that kind of stuff. Wow. So, um, and it probably could have been faster if the doctor was actually there. That was the thing. Our doctor lives in Tulare. Our hospital was in Visalia. So he, he had to, so the baby was ready. And so we were doing like practice pushes and the baby nearly came out. Um, and they're like, Hey, there's not a doctor here to catch this thing. So they called him and they were like, you need to get over here now. Um, he, sh and so, I mean, even my wife was like, like, she's ready, like she's ready to come out. Um, and so doctor got there 25 minutes later and then, uh, uh, my wife was able, like I said, in seven minutes and baby was there. So, um, baby Reese, she's healthy. Um, she's doing good. Um, she's growing, um, every day, um, Diapers aren't bad as much as people say. Like I said, I haven't had any issues sleeping through the night because um, – and if you're sitting there and you're like, well, that's because your wife is, like, taking care of the baby. Uh, in the middle of the night, uh, she wakes me up to, to go change her if she needs a change or anything like that. I'm not feeding her, so props to my wife for, you know, feeding her all the time. Um, I can't do that. We're not, we're not doing formula. So if you guys want to do some biological studies, you can figure out that I can't do that. <laughs> Um, and so, uh, things are just going really good. Uh, she's really calm, mellow. She doesn't really like cry or anything like that. She just chills. So great. I was like being a parent's awesome, having fun. Um, yeah. And me and my wife talked about it this morning. We were just like, do you think that this is, do you think this is as hard as we made it out to be? Because, I mean, like, everybody's like, you're never prepared, and that's true. But I think for both of us who have anxiety and, and that kind of stuff, we were we were very scared about it. And right now we've gotten in a routine, and, and we feel a lot more confident and definitely a lot less scared. I mean, there's still lots of stuff that we don't know, obviously. Sure. But, we, but we're, we're gaining confidence, and we're feeling better and better each day that things keep going. Um, and we've kept her alive now for, like, Three and a half weeks, so <laughs> winning. And Andre's doing well. No postpartum. That postpartum is always hard. Yeah, uh, I talked to. It's not anything women can do about, it and they feel guilty about it because they're having it, and then it just can devolve into this downward spiral. It's just that no one can really make sense of. So, 
Yeah, and I and I asked her last night. I was like, "Hey, how are you feeling? Do you have any of the depression that kind of comes with it? You know, your, your hormones are just completely out of whack and all that kind of stuff." And she was like, "You know, I'm actually doing really well. Like, um, she does struggle with the fact that she like she's like, I want to go do stuff, right? You know, she's like, can I leave the house or anything? And I'm like, sure. Like, so <laughs> like the other day, I was like. I usually I do the grocery shopping in our house, but I was like, here, you can go get the groceries, you know, and not super fun and stuff. But I keep <laughs> I keep telling her, I was like, hey, uh, we just had a Nordstrom rack open up in Visalia. I was like, go check it out. I was like, go take your sister and go walk around, um, go to Target with Reese and all that kind of stuff. So um, just giving her stuff to do outside of the house because I think she's kind of just a little restless at home is just mainly her big thing. But other than that, she's healthy. She's doing great. So. We awesome. Are, we are blessed awesome. beyond belief. That is for sure. Well, cheers to that. So cheers. what are we drinking? Uh, yeah, we're drinking a Firestone Alvarado Street Lab. Um, it's called No Vacancy. Um, I'm pretty sure that they were just really excited about Lionel Messi coming to uh, Miami. Um, so that's why they have the flamingos on this can. It's like it's a, like Simpsons art. I ju- yeah, it's like Simpsons art, but also I ju- I really don't understand the flamingo thing because I just don't really feel like that's a California staple, the pink flamingo. I feel like that's a like I said a Miami thing. Uh, my guess is because it's kind of tropical flavors. Yeah, there's a pineapple. We're having a hard time coming up with the yeah. You taste pineapple. I do not taste pineapple. I mean, it's bitter on the back, so I guess that's where the pineapple comes. But well, I th- I say that's where the grapefruit comes in. I, was I like, mean, you, yeah. Uh, sorry, grapefruit. You were specific. You were adamant about the grapefruit. Uh, pineapple, maybe. I think mango or some sort of sweet something fruit, something like that on the front. First time I had it, I thought ban- I I said banana. I said it's not banana, but banana is the only thing I can think of. But I think it's probably mango or we do uh, we do like say sweet mango because a lot of times if you drink beer. And you're familiar with mango, either blondes or IPAs. You think they're probably sweet, and some are, and then some it, they use something from the mango to make it just more bitter. Yeah, and I mean, uh, so something to be said about uh, this beer is this is not the first time that Tim and I have had it, um, and we have said that initially we were not big fans, uh, but we bought four packs, so we had to tr- keep drinking them. Yeah. Um, and as we continue to drink them, we have said that they do taste better. So, well, full, full disclosure, uh, if you're listening to this and you listen to the last episode, you'll be saying, yeah, you guys drank this. You and Andy drank this for the last time. So why are you drinking it again? It's because I wanted Colton to be able to drink it and tell me what he thought. I found out right before we started recording that he'd already had it. But at that point we leaned in and, uh, did a taste test again anyway. So. Um, you're opening up the second one because we're, we're sharing one. We're sharing. Because sharing is caring. Uh, <sighs> yes, and there's other things that I would like to drink and try today. So uh, We are uh, also drinking a uh, Belching Beaver. Is it a collab with anybody? Yes, or? Altamont. Altamont. Uh, and it's called Hopping on the California One, so uh, which is super awesome. 
Um, excited to be drinking it. It's got a tiki dude and a beaver riding it, cruising around in a uh, a vehicle, a square body be- vehicle of some sort. So, yeah. I was like, do you have room in your uh, glass? I do. <laughs> Oh, they're driving around. They're driving around in an old Ford Bronco. I was about to ask if it was a Bronco or, oh, or I don't know. It might, it might be a pickup truck. Or that's what I was saying. I was like, it's a square. It's, a it's either Ford. a square body Chevy or it's a square body Ford. Yeah, actually, it's a pickup truck. Yeah, it's it's a it's a seventies model, seventies era pickup truck. I would say. Yeah. It's interesting how truck designs, I mean, you could say that about, I guess cars are the same way, if you think about I guess, now that I think about it, but car bodies or truck bodies are pretty much the same. It's just it's minor variations, like, oh, that one's a... Yeah, that's a Tacoma. Oh, that's a Colorado. <laughs> oh, that's a Ranger. Only because it says so. Mm-hmm. It's a Canyon. Hmm. It's a Silverado, that's a... Yeah, I'm not a big fan myself, personally, but... It's a Nelson Dry Hop, um, which is where we're getting some of those flavors, and that's what I'm assuming is probably something that's going on in this bad boy. It's almost, it's almost nutty, which you should not taste in your IPA. That's fine in a brown or a marzen. Hmm. This just means I have to wash it down with some more Oktoberfest beer later today. Yeah, it's got that weird flavor. Well, I blame the. It's this. It's the Nelson hops. The, the Nelson hops is kind of hit and miss. Sometimes it's fine, and sometimes it's not. I I agree. Um, it's just not a flavor profile that I care for. So you may you may try it, and you'll be like, oh, I like this. Um, but for me personally, mm-mm-mm. um, not the way that it's prepared in this. Because there's some things like what's the. What's the one from Dust Bowl? The East of Nelson or East of Nelson, which is also Nelson, one hundred percent Nelson. Uh, but that one doesn't have this kind of funky flavor to no, it. No, and I asked, I think, uh, and then uh, it does know, have a distinct flavor, but it's not this funky. Barrel flavor. House has uh, oh, they're West the Coast. Willie Nelson. Yeah, the Willie Nelson. Uh, what's that one? It's a Willie. It's got Willie Nelson on the label. Oh, yeah, it's right there. The really Nelson. Really Nelson. That one's a tasty one, but it's a better tasting version of the nelson but this one oof. work well and it can't be it can't be the dry hopping because this is because the really nelson isn't bad and that's a double dry hop so i don't know i don't know what's going on but i don't know what causes it to have this kind of funk but whatever anyways you listening to anything recently uh, what have I been listening to? I haven't been any, listening to anything in particular. Just, uh, I had Stones on for about 30 minutes yesterday. The band on 45 minutes the day before. Uh, yeah, that's about it. 
Nothing, nothing spectacular or interesting. You can laugh at me if you want. Um, I have been listening to music on Pandora. Okay. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> and no, I do not pay for paid Pandora. Uh, I think you have children that are here to see you. Yeah, they're here to swim. Um, I have been listening uh, on Pandora, and I have a good reason, by the way, for anybody that sits there and is like, um, I had crafted a long time ago uh, when I was working out at the shop A, and that was back when a lot of the streaming uh, services were starting to really take off. So Spotify really wasn't a huge thing. It was it was maybe like two or three years old at that point, but it still wasn't like competing with Apple Music or anything like that. Like Apple Music or Pandora. It was well, it was Pandora and Apple Music. Yeah, so it was. Um, so still waiting, and so I was working out at the shop. And uh, what do you listen to when you work out in a uh, in a tractor repair business shop? <laughs> So you listen to music in the... Oh, yeah. The, what do you listen to when you're listening to music in the tractor uh, repair shop? You listen to... And you compile yourself a phenomenal Pandora, Garth Brooks, country music station. <laughs> so, uh, And you can't listen to Garth Brooks on uh, on streaming services because he doesn't put his music up there. So, uh, But he does... But his songs are on Pandora where you can listen to it on the radio. So... Um, I have a really good compilation of uh, late, a- late 80s, 90s, and even earlier 80s, 70s country music on my Pandora station uh, where I've just liked songs for right. a couple of years. And, uh, and so I've been listening to that recently uh, <laughs> when I'm cooking in the kitchen or I'm uh, doing anything with Reese and stuff, uh, you know, trying to start her young. Um, right i was like my wife will probably appreciate it because half the songs are about rodeo and my wife was a rodeo girl so yeah so i'm glad you said that (laughs) i thought you were gonna say uh taylor swift oh no and i'm so done with it you're done with it because now it has invaded your your football space correct (laughs) that's that's where people are done with it now they're like okay all right, we had categories. <laughs> Where well, we... <laughs> it's, it just seems so clearly a publicity stunt by somebody. Either Travis Kelsey and the league, or her, so she can get more fans because you know she's not going to be happy until she, the Antichrist, has taken over the entire world. <laughs> so it's just enough already. And I made the mistake of texting my friends. Enough already, and then I got back. Haters gonna hate. And I was like, All right. Yeah, you got back uh, Taylor Swift lyrics. Yes. Uh, <laughs> like, how long have you been sitting on that? Oh wow. Uh, and he, he, I don't remember what my friend Randy said, and I said, "Well, you've always, you always have had since I've known you, you've always had the the musical taste of a teenage girl." So. Yeah, uh, Taylor Swift, uh, worth talking about a, on this show for a total of 
two minutes we'll we'll attribute to her claim to fame, I guess. Um, <laughs> I think she's talented. I've had. We gotta get the metrics up somehow. <laughs> if we hashtag her, yeah, she right. might take off. Yeah, I <laughs> think just call us the Taylor Swift episode, even though we don't talk about it much. <laughs> That's it. Actually, we can't talk about her anymore from now on. That's it. Right there, we'll call it the T Swizzle uh, episode. Uh, yeah, it's crazy how uh, popular she is. Again, I still equate her, as we talked about before, I still put her on the level of like Madonna. Like, and as much as 80s people are probably like, I would. Like, no, there was a two year span. She's she's in that Madonna, uh, Michael Jackson phase where both of them had like a couple year, Madonna probably two years, Michael Jackson five or six, where they just took out, just sucked all the oxygen out of music. Yeah, the hard and, part is you know, like, and even actually, Madonna is an even better comparison because Madonna was dating Sean Penn and some other famous people when she was younger, and so. Yeah, and it's, and I mean, here's the thing: is uh, if anybody's listening to this, you can come at me. I guess uh, I, I don't think that her most recent album is uh, her best album. Um, and so it's just kind of funny that she's at this huge popularity piece or part of her career. Um, but a lot of the things that people love and remember, it's almost nostalgic for previous songs from five years ago, seven years ago right? Um, kind of stuff. So these big tours that she's doing, um, a lot of people are, you know, um, but I think that she's, I don't know. I think, I think she's a good pop artist. Um, like or a, a very popular pop artist her her cds as far as i can tell aren't super um cohesive or anything there's not like a story that's going on it's just pop hit after pop hit after pop hit so i mean it's not um and she knows her business well like she she intentionally chose to get into country music when she was younger because uh she believed that that was the best way to get her foot in the door um was it was like this is the it's just so we're clear i'm not saying that it's easy to make it in nashville but she's it is easier to make it in nashville than it is to make it uh in other places well it's also easier with all you know certainly there's certainly a level of sex that's sold with female artists in country music but it's not nearly to the degree that it is in pop music so i think she could be a little more well, and at the time where she was emerging onto the scene, like the only way that she would have been able to really make grounds was she would have had to be in on a kids' TV show. Right, that's true. That's I was true. like, if you if you're like calling my bluff on that, like Ariana Grande is the next biggest like pop star, and yes, she was on a Nickelodeon. Yeah, no, TV I show. I, like, I know someone who was, <laughs> like, who was in charge of the cultivating of the the Disney, and it was it was a cohesive. There was a cohesive plan behind everything that was done. It was get these people in the Mickey Mouse Club, get them on shows. and But it was known from the beginning, in five years or whatever, you're going to be uh, singing and after you've out, outgrown this little thing. But you're going to take all those people who watched you on this and turn it into something else. And then we're going to make you this sexy thing rather than this cute thing. So What's actually crazy to me is that the only boys that have been successful, well... I guess Zac Efron's been successful. Mm. Uh, 
but the boys are do not have a track record. No, of they, being most of them successful. turn in. Find, we find out are sex offenders later. Yeah, so. or something. <laughs> yeah, and then the girls. I mean, they all have their slew of problems, but they all right. They turn out to be significantly more successful. So like Selena Gomez, uh, Miley Cyrus, uh, you know. Um, I think the Jonas Brothers did it pretty well. They made it out all right. Oh, Jessica um, Simpson, she was a Disney yeah. Girl. Jessica Simpson. Um, who else? Uh, uh, I was like, there's like I said, there's Ariana yeah, Grande. Yeah, we're missing. So what I hear, Ariana. what I hear you saying about Taylor is she's dating Travis because she needs another song to write or album to write. No, about that's not an what I'm saying. Boyfriend. I think that that's always a fun cliche for. Uh, for Taylor, so I mean, well, I, th- I, I think it's an appropriate cliche, but it, the same could be said about John Mayer. I can tell you what ex girlfriend it is that that he's referencing in the songs that he's writing about, based on when the album was written and then what's in the, in the song. So, you know, there's so there are specific songs about Jessica Simpson. There are specific songs. There's an entire album with it. Half of it is referenced to Jennifer Aniston. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, and so I, like, I don't have any issues with Taylor doing that, I think, um, uh, like I said, I think she's a, a talented pop artist, she very clearly knows what she's doing, she has the right people around her to where she's, she's making money, and she, and I hope, I hope that she's having fun, like, that's the key thing, is, uh, please don't, I think a lot of young girls look up to her and that kind of stuff, um, and there's, and as far as I can tell, besides maybe girls don't need to look up to her for relationship status because it does seem like she's got a new a new boyfriend or whatever every couple of months. Um, but I do I, I mean, as far as I can tell, she's always been very positive um, in the spotlight and a lot of that kind of stuff. You know, she had a lot of stuff that went on with the Kanye West debacle um, twice. <laughs> and so there's. There's stuff that she's handled really well in the press, and um, there's not a lot of stuff that comes back on her. Um, and I hope that it stays that way, so that way she can continue to be a good role model for uh, young girls um, out there. Um, so, because even then, like her her songs are not seriously about, um, you know. I think that kind of actually what you were saying earlier, where you say there's a certain sex appeal in hollywood as opposed to nashville and i still feel like taylor even though she's um gorgeous uh she's not i don't think she promotes herself in a sexual kind of way a majority of the time um i think that she does in some of her songs some of her music videos are a little they lean a little bit more into that but other than that i don't really view well the older she's gotten she's gotten you know she's become more getting a little more you know, but she's still not in the realm of. She's not. Yeah, I don't. I I like Ariana Grande, like a, a lot of her music, but a lot of it just the lyrics and then the way she dresses is just like, oof, it's just too much. But she's not. She's one of the right Ariana dozens of yeah. artists that are that way because I I I assume some of these artists like it. And she might be one, and I think a lot of them that were told by their producer and everybody else involved managing their businesses, this is what you got to do in order to sell records, and they go along with it because they want to be famous and they want to be successful artists, and so they'll dress as trashy and sing a bunch of lyrics written by a dude that 
uh, you know, make women sound like trashy men. And so that's just the way the game is. So it's, it's unfortunate. Again, country's gotten a little more like that. As much as I like Maren Morris, she has certainly sold herself sex, you know, the sex appeal. There's been some other ones that have done it. Miranda Lambert's done it to a, to an extent, but. Well, and also what's super funny is the. Taylor was younger too when she got into country. So it was a little like, yeah. Ugh. And then you have the, but what's really funny and, and people will probably come after me if you're, if you're really into the whole feminism thing on this one, it's just a really funny situation where a lot of people related to her which they had nothing to relate to. Like right. it's always, it's always the fun thing when people relate to celebrities' problems, where they're just like, and with Taylor, where she wasn't getting as much money as like she was deserved for her albums and all that kind of stuff. Like that didn't pay her, that wasn't paid to her. So what, what are her new albums called? They're like the re- reclaimed or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, where her producer gets none of the money from them and all that kind of stuff that she had had for such a long time. And uh, listen, there may have. I'm fully well aware that there could have been some dark history, dark past there or whatever, but you're just like, this is a victory um, for Taylor and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah, she went from making millions to millions more now. Like, like, you know, it's just like, okay, she, she had a shit ton of money to begin with. And you're like, well, there's a shit ton of money going to that other guy. And it's like, okay, all right. So somebody's getting money. Like, and you're like, well, it's her money. And it's just like, okay. All right, all right. Million, I was like, it's still millions of dollars. Like, it, I don't know. It's kind of a weird concept that we have in this. There are very few people who can walk into a studio with no experience and be able to lay down an album in the way that albums are generally laid down and understand what you're doing for the first four or five albums. There's very few people who have that kind of intuitive genius, and. It seemed like to bring back a topic from a previous podcast. It seemed like uh, George Michael kind of had that intuitive, like this is what I want out of it. Right? Maybe she's—I don't know if she was upset because she thought she had a better handle on it. But that's just kind of the way the business goes. You spend the your the first your first contract with the record label. The record label owns you. The producer owns you. They lay down what they what they think is going to sell, and that's just the way it is. And because of that, they're going to make a lot of money. I got. I have no sympathy for music labels, but you know they do spend for every album that does sell millions of records and go gold or platinum. There's plenty that don't go and sell much of anything that they've put studio time and everything else into as well. So right. And, and when she got started, CDs were still a thing. So they're act, it's you know it's costing them money money to print these CDs and get them out and shipped out and all that kind of stuff that's that's actual sunk cost these days when there's not really any cost you know your your cost or server costs for putting it up on or you're not even doing that that's apple's cost and you don't have the cost that you had before so right um, um yeah just crazy anyway uh did want um, to segue i also don't like the uh what was the pot shot at tim mcgraw for what do you mean? What was the She had a at? song about Tim McGraw. Wasn't it a pot shot at Tim McGraw? She didn't like something he said or something. Recently? Me, no, many years ago. Oh, wait, what? No, there's a Tim McGraw song, but her it's it's when you think Tim McGraw, I hope you think my favorite song. So, oh, okay. 
I was like, I don't think there was a pot shot at Tim this McGraw. This is how like, little I know of her. I was like, actually, that's I like that song a lot. Uh, I was like, oh, shout out also to uh, our friend Brian Yo because he can pretty much I think cite every Taylor Swift song like he's quoting the Bible. So. Oh yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, again, people like her. She's a good pop artist. So uh, before we move on, I have well, no interest in her. That is, but I, but I will say objectively. I don't. I. It's not that I don't understand the attraction to the music, and I understand why people like your music, and I can even say, even though I don't listen to her, I can recognize. Yeah. She is a good artist. Yeah. I just don't have the bandwidth to include her in the things that oh, I already sure. listen to. So. Yes. Uh, my hatred is yes. She is now intruding on my football time. I don't need to see. It was such a weird thing to watch the game last week. It's the it's right before the game starts. NBC's just going all in on the Taylor Swift thing. They show her arriving, like in the box or at the stadium, and I kid you not, Blake Lively and her husband Ryan Reynolds are in the shot, and they get no mention. And it's like, oh, by the way, Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds are there with her. Just nope. Taylor Swift's here. She sucks. And there was a, I think there were other uh, famous uh, actors that were in the in that box too. But they were the two that I know. Is like, uh, yeah. So even Ryan Reynolds, who's very very funny, and his very attractive wife are just like, yeah, you're just a sideshow. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't like tabloid stuff to begin with. So so every time that I see relationship status stuff, I'm always like, I don't care. I oh don't, yeah. I'm like so. Well, the first week that she showed up, people weren't even sure they were dating. It was like, is this a thing? So, I don't know. Who cares? Yeah, I, I don't. Travis Kelsey's a meathead, so if she likes him, that's her problem. Uh, Real quick, before we move on, I do want to, because I do like when we talk about current events and that kind of stuff, uh, just uh, prayers uh, to the families in Israel. Ugh. Ugh. Um, this is a... Horrible. Uh, this is a horrible, rough situation uh, that just happened today. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that this is a quick, quickly resolved issue, but we know that it's not. Um, and so, uh, it's a tough one uh, today, and it's it's going to be tough. It's going to be a bad couple months. Yeah. And. The Biden administration got themselves into trouble because somebody got a hold of the social media handle and sent out a thing saying Israel should do nothing. And, you know, I kind of chuckled and thought, oh. I kind of thought, you know what, there's, you know, as you and I have talked, there's a side of me that, that, that uh, yes, that's what I would, you know, it would be nice if there's no violence, but that's just not going to happen. And that's just, now's not the time to take the... Uh, when you're in the middle of encouraging a, a long, bloody war in Ukraine, uh, telling Israel to take the pacifism r- route is just a bad look. So they, they took the tweet off immediately. But uh, so not, it's not good. This is These are the kind of situations where, again, there's got to at least be an equilibrium in the world where War is going to happen. People are going to fight wars. And there needs to be a healthy group of people on the side praying, asking for, doing everything they can for peace. Because um, if it's just war, then we're just lit- – we are we are doing what Jesus and uh, Jesus talks about and what's talked about throughout the New Testament and in Revelation of 
just we are inviting hell on earth hell is today it's not a thing after we die and so certainly israel uh, went through hell for about 10 hours this morning i think it's still going on and then i'm sure that hell is going it has been and will be unleashed on those in gaza and east palestine so yeah it's uh it's not it's not a good day um today um and so it does i'm i think anytime lives are taken it's um it's it's tragic um and so um i it's it's tough so um and i know this isn't like a super great segue from the fact that we've been talking about taylor swift for like the past well there's no good segue to this 20 minutes but um it's uh and i know that there's speculation out there and i think it was good that you said that there needs to be people that are praying on the side um that you know what are your thoughts and prayers going to do um that kind of stuff um but it believe it or not there is still that idea of when we when we see those things when we feel remorse when we sympathizing and empathizing with with people um that are going through crisis and um in your communities having those conversations um and talking about them with your friends um because it helps us grow as people so even though we're not directly supporting them um uh, from this distance uh you are still helping the world progress forward by realizing that that is something that is not okay um because i i hope that a lot of you in your homes are sitting there and you're like this is not okay um this is a terrible thing that is going on and it's going to be a terrible like we said it's going to be a terrible couple of months um israel has now responded i just looked it up as we were taking a short break uh Israel has now responded in kind and has now gone into Gaza and is now attacking in Gaza, um, which is just, it's tough. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not a good, not a good time. Um, so thoughts and prayers for, um, from everybody that listens to this podcast, for those that are, that are dying in Gaza and Israel today and in the months to come. Absolutely. All right, you want to get on to a main topic? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Sorry, folks, we're going to talk once again about de-churching. Oh, no, not again. Uh, We are. Why are we going to talk about it again? Because we have a study here that actually uh, points out some misconceptions. There might even be some things you and I have talked about that we think are reasons for. And I think... Some of the reasons that some of the misconceptions they point out are absolutely true. That also doesn't mean there are other things going on. But it's still, this is a pretty uh, interesting study. So this is from, who is this by? I don't have the name of the people who did the study. Uh, I'm going to read from it now. We are currently living in the largest and fastest religious shift in U.S. history. Some 40 million adult Americans who used to go to church at least once per month now attend less than once per year. 
The shift is larger than the number of conversions during the First Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, and the totality of the Billy Graham Crusades combined. Now let me stop there. That number is both true, also misleading a little bit because the population wasn't as big when we had the First and Second Awakenings or even with the Billy Graham Crusades, but it's still a very large number. Let's say it's at least, I would say even if you... 40 million with the, per, the percentage of 40 million Americans with us having a 300 and somewhere between 20 and 50 million population, the percentage is still a pretty hefty percentage. I would have liked it if they'd done that by percentage of population. Anyway, over the last two years, we've worked with respected social scientists Ryan Burge and Paul Dupay to conduct the largest and most comprehensive study of dechurching ever commissioned. In total, we heard from more than 7,000 respondents. That's a really, that's a high number. If you listening to this and you hear polls, polls are usually sampling between 700 and maybe 1,500 people. Uh, if it's under 1,000, it's probably not a good study. Um, 7,000, that is a very large number of people that they've surveyed. Uh, total, we heard from more than 7,000 respondents over three phases and gleaned as many as 600 data points in the final phase of the study. The result of that study, along with a number of pastoral, missiological, ecclesiological, and relational insights, were published last week in our book, The Great Dechurching, because the results both confirmed... Oh, I'll skip that part. All right. Misconception number one. People leave primarily because of negative experiences with the church. Sadly, egregious malpractice in the American church includes abuse of all kinds, racism, misogyny, political syncretism, clergy scandals. We must deal with these problems, but the majority of Americans aren't de-churched casualties of this type. Are you ready for the number? One reason why they stopped attending church. They moved. Roughly three-quarters of the people who left church did so casually for pedestrian reasons, including moving, the inconvenience of attending. We talked about this in a recent podcast. Yeah. Kids' sports activities or family changes like marriage, divorce, or having a new child. We in no way want to downplay the hurt and suffering of the 10 million who left uh, as casualties. That's Yeah, that's still a large number. Numerically speaking, that group just isn't the lion's share of the de-churched. Yeah, this is a huge misconception uh, for when people say that uh, people are leaving. So if your church – in most churches, if you are in board meetings or you are in uh, – so like – so church board meetings, if you know, and they're, if they're sitting there and they're, they're really trying to um, – uh, or even staff meetings are really trying to be aggressive about – um, the people that are leaving the church and all that kind of stuff, um, they're, they're having that conversation in the church uh, setting. Um, this one doesn't get brought up. This is often a misconception that people have outside of the church. They believe that, well, the church is a terrible place. Um, and there's a lot of negative things that are happening there that have hurt people. And, and that may be an excuse that some people have used before. Right. And there are people that are um that are legitimately hurt and that and that needs to be said i think that that was a pretty good list that was on there but um in reality kind of what we had talked about before it really comes down to um the fact that it's just really not a priority for you anymore yeah um it's uh 
and it may be a priority. Like people are like, I want to go to church and that's what they say and all that kind of stuff. But just because you say it doesn't mean that you put it into action. Like I said, it's kind of like the same thing that I said about reading when we had this conversation before where it's like I have deliberately set out two hours for myself for reading every single night. It is a priority for me, and so therefore I do it. Before, I would have said, oh, there's no way that I can do it. Like I'm like, oh, man, I want to read a book, but I just can't. Like I can't find the time or whatever. And it's like, nope, you can find the time. You just have to look at what it is. You have to make sacrifices in other areas in order enough to establish that time. So it's like, okay, do I sit there on my phone for an hour and a half, or do I read a book? Um, and and I just prefer to do that instead of be on my phone for an hour and a half. And so the same kind of idea applies with uh, Sunday mornings where it's like, I don't want to get up in the morning or like I want to go to church, but I also don't want to get up. I don't want to get dressed because there is still just for anybody out there. There is still kind of a misconception in most churches that you need to dress up and yep. look nice. And there's a social status that's associated Particularly with you. Particularly part of the country you go to. If you're in the South, it's, I don't think it's in the South, it's not at all allowed to. Yeah, it's like a two-hour process to get ready for church in the yeah, morning. Put your Sunday like, best on for God because God cares. I was like, even in California, you still get up, you take a shower, you still like style your hair and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't even like – I was like, for school mornings, I I love being the guy that has the crazy hair. Like the, the English <laughs> – the crazy teacher with the crazy hair where they're just like, Mr. Pierce, you look like you're deranged. And I'm like – English guys, it does this to you. Like, you know? <laughs> uh, so, but that's the whole thing is that it's really at the end of the day. And the, when it said they moved or something, yeah, there. I think that that could possibly be a different reason um, when you get to the the whole they moved part. But there's the priority, and then also when it comes to the move, they've been moved or they have removed themselves from the community that they were a part of for so long, um, and so now it really. Being a new member of a church is really strenuous and it's frustrating and it's annoying. So right. um, that those are just some of those things that I think that yeah, I think that that's a misconception. If you're sitting I, again, like like it said, we we don't want to talk badly about all the things that happen to other people um, because there are legitimate reasons for why people have left because of that. Um, but at, but if you're saying that that's a major reason why yeah people are apparently that's not really a major not. reason so number two and this is one that I've thought about for a long time so <gasps> apparently I'm wrong. Oh, damn it. The GDP rises. Similarly, countries with lower Per capita GDPs tend to be more religious. They have a chart attached. But the United States is an outlier, and this held up in our study. Among those we surveyed, people with higher education were less likely to leave the church. For evangelicals, de-churching and education were inversely related. More education, more likely to stay in the church. Only 3% of evangelicals with graduate degrees were re, were de-churched. That's just stunning. This finding challenges the notion that secular university erodes the faith of many young evangelicals, while the 18 to 30-year-old time frame is the period when people are most susceptible to de-churching. The cause doesn't seem to be secular higher education. Dechurching has hit lower and lower middle classes and those with less education harder. It's difficult to say in, de in definitively what's going on here, 
but it seems logical that the life changes that correspond with dechurching are especially difficult for those without economic cushion or upwardly mobile social networks. People in these classes need to work long or unusual hours to make ends meet. That's a supposition, frankly, I don't think they should be making, but it's not a, it's not a bad one. As a result, these groups, relation, these groups' relationships with American institutions, whether educational, economic, civil, or technological, are all strained. They seem to have limited access to traditional ladders of success. Sadly, church can be just another institution that works for those on a certain American track, but not for those who are off track. The American church needs introspection on this reality and then to follow up with community-specific strategies for engaging lower and middle-class people. Actually, I'm going to I'm going to contradict myself. Tim, you were wrong. Actually, that does make sense. If you think about it, lower, because we have now made service jobs for lower and lower class and middle lower middle class people, it stands to reason that a lot of these folks are actually working, whether it be flipping burgers or at a Target or whatever on Sundays, because now everything's open on Sundays. Didn't used to be that way. When you were, if it was even in the 1950s in most states and cities, whether you were religious or not, it was expected that stuff was going to be closed on, just about everything was closed on a Sunday. So if you were poor, the fact we're not doing most of our quote unquote poor, well, not a quote, most of our poor blue clock collar jobs are, those don't exist anymore where they're, they're nine to five, eight to five, Monday through Friday. They are seven day a week jobs. Now they're not working seven days a week, but they are often working on weekends. And just as we've said that moving or your kids are playing in sports, and so it's inconvenient to go two or three times a week to church, and so therefore you just stop going to church. The same can be said for somebody who's working every every other uh, Sunday. I'm just going to eventually just stop going to church because I want a Sunday off. Yeah. Because, like you said, going to church is a bit of a production. I got to get up. I got to get cleaned up. I got to put on my Sunday best like I'm going to some cocktail party or whatever. And then I got to go and I got to put a good smile on my face and blah, 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 blah. And yeah, I still have half the day, but I just rather sleep in because I don't get to sleep in. So, yeah, well, and and here's actually so I don't know who all of our friend group listens to um, this podcast. So um going to talk about it for a minute here. Uh and they may come at me or something, but I'm really always have been, and I'm a private school graduate um, with my undergrad work, and I'm really pretty anti-private school. Um, I don't want, I didn't want to go there. Um, it was just kind of the most convenient and most affordable option for me, so um, there wasn't, and especially once you get to that level, there is still like, Bible classes that I took um, that you have to take, um, and there's and that was how that went, um, and there were good things. There were there were lots of good things that went that transpired because of that university that I went to, and and I I'm not complaining at all, um, but I think that you need to be in a different place. I I think about this even from not just talking about secular universities. I still think about. Um, people have issues with secular high schools. They have issues with uh, secular elementary schools. Um, 
And this is something that frustrates the heck out of me because, uh, because I once had a friend who was like, who was adamant that his kid was going to go to the local Christian school around here. And, and I was like, why? Like, um, I, I think that there are social aspects that I believe in. There are, there are social things that's, that secular schools will teach you that you will not learn in the private schools. Um, and I think those are good for kids overall development. Um, and the, the guy at the time told me, he was like, well, you know, I don't want my, my daughter to get raped. And I was like, what? (laughs) Like, what do you think is happening at these secular schools? And there's this kind of idea that kind of persists where people believe that there's, it's not even about a lesser education. It's about these, these concerns or these safety issues that they believe exist within the secular school system that their children are going to be a part of. And it's like, whoa, like, it's so crazy. Like, that's like literally not letting your kid go outside because you're afraid that something like is going to happen to them in the middle of the street, you know? Right. Um, where it's like, yes, those things do happen. I don't want to, I don't want to take away from that. Like, but also just so we're clear, we all remember the Catholic stories, right? About the Catholic schoolboys. Like, right. I'm like, what are we right. talking about here? Uh, and like, well, that's all fixed now. Of course it's all fixed, right? Yeah, totally. Cause there can't be predators that work or go to a, uh, a Christian school or whatever. <laughs> and also just so we're clear for anybody out there, the state has lots of regulations for all of us as educators, and they are significantly less rigorous at private schools. So I have to go through a certain amount of hoops. I have to be I have to be a mandated reporter. I have all of these trainings that I have to go to, and I have to have all of these boxes checked, and I have to get background checked by the state and all that kind of stuff. In a private school, technically, none of that has to be true. So you could be sending your kid to this universe or to this high school to this elementary school and those teachers they don't even technically have to have a college degree did you know that that's like one of these things where it's like people don't understand where it's like oh they're getting a better education it's like no not necessarily actually you should probably do a background check on all of your teachers on that campus and see what their uh what their qualifications are to be able to be teaching those subjects and then also same thing goes for this for once they get to the university level um, like for my college, um, I love them and lots of love. But just so you know, if I were to go to a public university, the all of my professors have to have a PhD or higher. But if I were to go to the private school, which I went to, all of my professors, except for one, only the highest that they had ever achieved was just a master's degree. So they're not even like the master's degrees don't get me wrong they do have their weight but it's still not the level of knowledge that a phd has right like we would all agree on that and so these are kind of those things where it's like actually you're getting a you're getting a worse education if you send your kids to some of these and i mean like not a worse education but you're not getting you are not learning from people that are necessarily considered experts in their field where they're top where they're a part of that one percent so to speak of knowledge in that area to be able to be teaching them that so it's just kind of this weird thing where it's like okay um because everybody believes that you get a better education at these private schools but that's they get to follow rules that other schools don't well they 
most of them get accredited and they still have to follow some a lot of the through the accreditation process in order to get accredited they have to follow some of the basic things but all of that is curriculum based so you can get accredited by just teaching a curriculum that comes from somewhere so that's the hard part where it's like okay no i think the accreditation also takes into account your faculty and stuff like that so sure i mean a private school yes you don't have to have a degree and they're more open to hiring but most of your teachers at a private K through 12 are still going to have degrees. They're not going to have, no, they are not. It is rare that they're going to have all of the post posts, uh, bachelor's accreditation that the, those in the public sector have to do. So uh, public schools have to do also in a lot of the state schools in California in particular, there's a lot of, associate professors now who have just master's degrees who are also teaching but because those schools are prioritizing research over teaching in uh the classroom but your point is still correct well and my and what i'm talking about is like if you're sitting there and you're talking about like i i when i say this a lot of people might sit there and think that i'm talking about usc or stanford or harvard or whatever some of these private schools I'm not talking about that. No, you're talking about Vanguard and some of these, in particular, like some of the Christian institutes. I'm talking about the really small ones where, and I'm talking about the the misconception out there that those are better. Like that's the, I'm I'm trying to go after you on the idea that you were sitting there and thinking that my kid's getting a better education because they're going to this university or whatever. It's like, no. no, that's not true. And they may not even necessarily be getting a better Christian education, so to speak. Correct. Going to those universities, which people think happen all the time. Um, and it's like, no, actually, I said there can be more, uh, and you can probably elaborate on this uh, just a little bit, where it's like there are more opportunities for you to be brainwashed when you open yourself up emotionally and spiritually to things that are going on on your campus. So if they continue to feed into that while you are emotionally and spiritually available, um, then they can kind of influence the way that you think. And so that can actually happen more regularly on those campuses than anywhere else, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I went to a Christian high school, and you were certainly exposed to less drinking. The drinking and the sex wasn't as prevalent, but it was still there. Um, and you had a lot more kids who were Christian. Uh, well... I think the main point is, well, the thing I took, the things I took from my private school weren't the Bible classes that I had to take. It was the exceptional English classes that I had, some of the other classes that I had, like you'd get anywhere else. But I wasn't a better Christian because I was going to a Christian private school. Yeah. And well, and what's funny is you brought up the, the drinking and the... In the whatever, because uh, my wife has this. My wife went to a private school for all of her, for all of her education, and uh, she went to the private Christian school in town. And she was always frustrated in high school with the speculation that the girls at her school were sluts. Right. Um, and I had to explain to her. I was like. I was like, well, they are. <laughs> uh, and, I was, and she's like, no, we're not. And I was like, okay, listen, if 20 girls on your campus 
decide to all sleep around with a bunch of guys throughout the city of Visalia. And 20 girls on my campus decide to do it and sleep around with all the whatever and Tulare. You have a graduating class of 92. Right. So 40, 45 of them are girls. So that makes 50% of the girls on your campus are sleeping around with everybody else. I have a graduating class of 314. Right. I was like, the percentage is considerably different. So when people say all of them are hoes, like that's there, there you go. Like that's how that works. That's basic math. Um, so she always hated that and that kind of stuff. And I was like, it exists. Like, and just so we're clear, it's, it's just teenage angst. Like you're not like sitting there like, I'm still the type where it's like teenagers are going to be teenagers. Like, well, it's not fair to the kids because unless the, I mean, most kids I don't think actually want to go to Christian private school. Most of them, I would say the majority of them want to go to public school. Their parents want them to go there, but the kid is judged by they're going there. And so it's like, so they're being judged as goody two shoes and more moral than everybody else. So there's this element of, well, you guys are just a bunch of hypocrites. Yes, exactly. And you can say that's not fair. No, there's an element to fairness of that. Again, you're wanting to judge kids who aren't in the world. I mean, just because you're going to public school doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but you, you're judging the secular kids, quote unquote, very loosely, quote unquote, but you're judging the secular kids as Christian kids. Again, as Paul said, why are you judging the pagans by our standards? They don't believe in what we believe. So you got kids, whether they want to go to the, that private Christian private school or not, who are behaving like the the public school kids? Yeah, you're gonna get. It's gonna be a bigger scarlet letter on you than it would be. Yeah, and it's and actually, I don't really feel like it's necessarily on the kids. It's more on the parents where they believe that their kids are getting this. Well, absolutely. You know, I'm just in, in terms no, of what yeah, your no, wife I, is talking about, like not liking the stigma. It's like, well, it's too bad. It's just kind of the world that you live in. Yeah, 100. percent And but and what I was saying was just like it. And so the kid has to accept it because uh, believe it or not, even if you're not sticking your nose up to other people your parent, when they decided for those things to happen, they stuck their nose up to other people. Yeah, the whole reason we're going there <laughs> yeah. was because I want my kids to be in a wholesome, quote-unquote, wholesome environment. So Yeah, exactly. Turns out like, it's not. And, well, and that was the thing. Is Particularly like a, now with the internet. When I was in high school, late 80s, no internet. Internet didn't start for like two years, didn't become commercially available for, for like two, three years after I graduated. So it was much harder, <laughs> like... You had to find things on television or books or whatever, and it had, there was like an underground. So now you go to a Christian school, you're arguably no more sheltered from the same things that the kids going to the public school are because you can go home unless your parents have really, really good internet filters on your phone and your home computers, you're going to not get exposed to it. But then what happens, you know, these your kids have friends and you're assuming their friends don't have all those filters it's just it's really easy to get a hold of this stuff that you find icky yeah and i mean and alcohol's always been easy for kids to get a hold right. of right i'm like so even before the internet so alcohol is easy to get a hold of drugs have become whether they're whether they're hard or recreational those have become easier to get a hold of uh uh well, they have, but as uh, the Rolling Stones said, you know, some of the best drugs are sitting in Mama's uh, medicine cabinet. So yeah. Well, and I think one, well, and, and 
And I think, I think even going back to the collegiate level where there's this idea of, and I think that this has now become, especially within the last couple of years, um, well, it was probably more like four years ago now, where, uh, where there was this message going around about kids are brainwashed to be liberal. Um, okay. When they go to college I'm, yes, university. that is the crux of what this is saying. So, yeah, this is what we need to put a bow on it with. Yes, continue. This is exactly what this is countering and saying, no, this is not the case. And this is the misconception that I've had, our mutual friend Brandon has had for a long time. So continue. Yeah, and so there's this idea that when you go to college or whatever, it makes you more liberal. And um, and and I'm saying that this obviously debunks that um, from the standpoint. Well, and not necessarily. So I, I think that a lot of people associate um, political parties with uh, religion. Some people believe that you can't be – you can't be a liberal and a Christian. Some people say that you can't be a, a conservative and a Christian. Um, and and so there's that kind of pull both ways um, kind of stuff. But there's this idea, again, out there that, you know, people are being brainwashed and they're stepping away from their old moral values and that kind of stuff. But obviously that's not the case as right. according to the study. So, and I mean, you should go ahead and unpack it a little bit. So. Well, yeah, that, that, the assumption is, and I've, the, the term I've used is, you know, we send our kids off to secular seminary, and so and we're shocked that they come back and what, whatever. They know stuff. <laughs> so what they've, their Christianity's been replaced by some secular version, secular version of religion. And clearly this is saying that, you know, in a, any statistical meaning meaningful way that's just not the case so yeah um and and in fact the longer as you and i have been doing this podcast and i in particular i mean you went the university the the college you went to i think had a fairly liberal shall we say bible oh yeah yeah, when I, we were so pro- you were exposed to things that i've only recently exposed myself to if if you want if you want your kids to have their worldview turned upside down, it's actually send them to most. I mean, you know, there's a lot of conserv. Certainly, there's a lot of conservative Christian colleges, but there's a lot of colleges like the one you went to, Fresno Pacific, and others. Yeah, we want to undo a kid's worldview of the Bible and and their Christian worldview. It's go there where someone says, "Yeah, you know what." It's the crux of a lot of this podcast. The worldview that you grow up with, that that very twenty, like late eighteenth, nineteenth, twentieth century view of Christian American Christianity that you think has been the end all be all, and that's the way Jesus thought when he was a Christian and the early church thought, and then have that taught right out of you and say, yeah, actually, that's not at all how these people thought. That's not the word that they said. That's not the concept that they used when they were writing this thing. Uh, Paul might have not actually written the letter that, that you say no Genesis wasn't written by Moses and all this kind of stuff that just you have in your head as like if I don't believe this then my whole Christian worldview comes falling apart Genesis is a myth largely adopted from all of the other Mesopotamian pre-civilizations that's the kind of stuff that will blow your mind away and, and a lot of kids actually turn away and go, well, I guess I was sold a lie. 
instead of just going, okay. Yeah, yeah. Turns I, out a lot of stuff I believed in was a myth, but the core thing I still don't believe is a myth, and so I'm moving on with my life, and I feel more informed about my Christianity. I'm not holding on to shibboleths that don't matter, that get into arguments with people who want to argue about Christianity that at the end of the day doesn't matter. Right. So I, if, <laughs> so again, if anything, if Bible schools are a good way of just undoing your Christian worldview and turning you away from the faith as much as going off to a secular university. Absolutely, I think. And going, and so if you're sitting there and you're like, they're teaching, they're not teaching creationism and biology classes or whatever, and it's like, well, no, they're not. Like, uh, or chemistry classes and that kind of stuff, or geology classes. Um, and it's so funny. I get one like every once in a while about, about there's two ways that the Grand Canyon could have been formed. And it's like, <laughs> no, that's not how that works. Like, oh yeah. The new earthers use the Grand Canyon as a great way to say that it was formed during the flood. Oh, it's so interesting. Um, the, uh, and so, but yes, 100%, like I said, my, uh, and my university is a lot more progressive than others. Uh, it is Anabaptist, um, and Anabaptists tend to be more progressive on some of these fronts. Um, and so that's not that, and so that can be difficult. And and there have been people that we've known that have gone as Bible study majors to Fresno Pacific, and they've walked away from the faith, or they've gone crazy, um, or something like that because of their their mission and all that kind of stuff and and the things that they learned um it's not for the faint of heart um to go and learn everything that you can about the bible and the scriptures um and so i even had somebody uh, a good mentor of mine who found out that a kid that was in that was being mentored with us went uh to yale for his uh to get his phd in um bible studies and and he was like you should see the things that he's posting and like uh, he doesn't like he's walked away like at this time or whatever and just really doesn't understand and i was like then i didn't say anything to him because again this guy i have a lot of respect and a lot of love for this man but i i didn't have the heart to just sit there and tell him like oh what he's saying is true all of those yeah, things what are he's, what he's I was saying like, is modern um, what modern a lot of modern uh and ignorance could be blissful for that person. You know, that's also the hard part is not everyone. And and C.S. Lewis really discourages this, but and and it's tough and and I don't encourage it. But at the same point, I'm just like, for some of you, I, your faith is a lot more shallow than you realize. Right. Um and to where it can be rocked instantly. So, and I mean, we may have said things on this show that you're, that you're 100%. You're like, well, that's just not true. Or I don't believe that. Or, well, that, that's what they say, but you know, that's not actually it or whatever. And it's like, okay. I look, I think, (laughs) I think we should all have a healthy understanding of what our faith really says, what the Bible really says and what it really doesn't say. Because, I, when we have a true understanding about it, the Bible in particular, I think it backs up 
the worldview you and I have talked about, which is this is not a history book. It's a book. It's it's a his, It's not a history book in that it's telling what happened. It is a history book in terms of it is does it is people. It's more like a diary than it is a <laughs> a history book. It is people struggling just as everyone else around them was struggling to understand what God is and it's their it's putting their struggles to paper. Yeah. Um but you know there there's the verse in the New Testament where we are challenged not to cause others to stumble and I think a lot of times we take that strictly as you know if your friend if your friend doesn't drink but you drink don't get them to drink because it's going to cause them to stumble because they've decided they don't want to drink or if you do this thing and they don't then you know make sure you don't do this to stumble and I you know I think sometimes I think that also includes if you have a very narrow I would say outdated view of christianity or you know somebody who has if you're listening to this you're 50 something episodes in i don't think you do but if you have friends family members that you suspect have kind of these very simplistic old school views of christianity and that if they were exposed to what i think is a more truthful view of what the bible says what jesus says yada 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 that would not just that that would then challenge not just challenge their christianity but turn them from the faith yeah then you don't need to have that conversation with them i i don't think i don't think having a true understanding of the old testament as we now know that now that we have the not the Dead Sea Scrolls and all these other things that we've discovered and be able to go through and say, yeah, it turns out that's not really true and that's not what this verse means and all that. I, if someone, if I don't think someone should lose their faith over having those things challenged, but again, if you think that they might, then don't bring it up. It's not worth it. Them having a childlike view of their Christianity is better than them for whatever reason, being so turned off and becoming cynical about it right. and turning away. And as much as I'd like people to be adults and handle some things being turned, it's not going to happen. So again, like that verse says, then don't cause them to stumble. Don't bring it up. Uh, if you're a younger person and you know, you're know you listening to this and this is a different view of what the church kind of thing you grew up in your faith, we're not challenging you to go home over Thanksgiving dinner and say, oh, well, these, you know, two yahoos that I listened to on a podcast pointed out that this is the proper view of how to view Satan, and Satan's not this real thing, and nah, it's not worth picking fights over if people who are just going to get upset with you, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Misconception number three. People leave the church because they've left the faith. Belief among the de-churched very wild, wildly. Among, among de-churched evangelicals, roughly 5 million out of the 10 million surveyed still confess Christian faith in conformity with the Nicene Creed. If uh, you don't remember, we did the Nicene Creed 20, 30 episodes ago. That's basically the nice, compact creed that most of the church has believed in from 3rd or 4th century, which basically says there's a trinity, there's Jesus, there are the apostles, Jesus died, rose, 
um, and everything we believe is based on him. That's basically what it says. Yeah. Uh, it retells it. Yes, there, there a there's a try three parts of God uh, retells the uh, passion story and Jesus rose. So, so uh, five million of those who've left the church still believe in that. Uh, our machine learning algorithm that's interesting identified several profiles of the church people. Ninety eight percent of a group we've called the churched mainstream evangelicals most of whom simply got out of the habit of going to church during COVID, and 90% of ex-evangelicals, those who have permanently and purpose, purposefully exited evangelicalism, that's probably me, agreed that Jesus is the Son of God. So while they've left the church, clearly not all have left an orthodox confession. Somehow mainstream evangelical dropouts registered a higher orthodoxy score and view of Jesus than evangelicals who still attend church. I'm going to reread that last sentence. Somehow mainstream evangelical dropout dropouts registered a higher orthodoxy score and view of Jesus than evangelicals who still attend church. That is not completely, to me, uh, crazy because uh, George... John, George or John Barna, his last name is Barna. Barna Group is seen as the preeminent Christian uh, research group. They did a study about 10 years ago, and they studied uh, church-going Christians on, basically tested them <laughs> yeah. on ortho uh, orthodox views of Christianity in the Bible, and Christians failed miserably. Just terrible. Uh all right, continuing. The story is nuanced. Some people who left the church uh, may have been Christians in name only before they did. Others look like they still largely believe the core tenets of the faith, but have either gotten out of the habit or are struggling to disentangle their true faith from problematic church cultures. They left. Uh, so I think that's all true. I think part of the problem when where I still struggle myself is when I say struggle I mean I include myself in this group I am becoming more quote unquote progressive in my views of what is and isn't allowed to be as a Christian but that is a narrow line because you can wake up one day and just basically be a universalist who believes in Jesus and everything is all fine and dandy just because you believe in Jesus. And I think there's a lot of people who are like that where they're, they're leaving the faith because they don't like the church because of view over homosexuality or some other thing. And they don't want to have, they either don't believe, agree with the church anymore or girls. Stop, please. Um, or they just don't want to get engaged in fights anymore, which is, I think, where I'm, I'm at. I just don't... I find the fight tiresome. It's a distraction. Yeah. And I think... But again, the church can wind up where one day where it has no more firm beliefs than the secular world, and, and we're just teaching Jesus and love and peace. Okay, well, now we've just turned ourselves into a hippie movement. So, 
Uh, anyway, what are your thoughts? I just think that there's a speculation out there that people are leaving the faith, but actually what they're doing is they're just leaving church. Uh, those are not associated. I don't believe that those are correlated. Um, I know lots of people that believe that they're actively involved in, or that are still in the faith, but aren't attending church on a regular basis. Well, that's basically you right now. Or the brick and mortar. Um, that's fair. (laughs) You clearly prioritize reading over going to church. I I said this in our (laughs) podcast the other day. Like I was like, I said one hundred percent. Like I was that. What that was that was like a month ago, month and a half ago. I know. I'm just picking fun. I know you're fine. I'm just like yeah. I was like, if it was a priority for me, I would make it work. But I don't want to. Like that's the thing. Is like, I'm going there for and what and just like I can prioritize to show up on time, but I don't. Right. I prioritize it to where I don't show up for the music or for half of the last song, and then uh, the sermon starts because that's all that I want to be there for. Um, And I'm not going into this further on a recorded message, so um, I don't know. I just it is. Yeah, I don't think that – I think that there's a misconception that church attendance equates uh, overall – and when I say church attendance, I'm talking about the brick-and-mortar church right. equates to your overall spiritual health. Correct. I don't think so. No. Um, and I think that that's what that shows in the stats where it was talking about how those that have left are better are, you know um, – what was the, what was the number? It was. Uh, I moved the paper over. Um, somehow, mainstream evangelical dropouts registered a higher orthodoxy score in view of Jesus than evangelicals who still attend church. Um, and I think that that's that's again that idea of you can attend church the entire time and really not understand uh, what the message is um, and what's going on. Um, so therefore, please continue to attend church, um, uh, and maybe change churches so that way you can learn. Because apparently, you haven't learned in the in the time that you spent there. But again, there's kind of this, like I said, there's this idea that that church attendance is is equivalent to overall spiritual health, and that that's that's not the case. No, not at all. Um, not uh, at all. And church is really actually what it really is meant for is about getting that message of the hope and the love that Jesus Christ has. Um, and that's why it's it's okay for it to be really basic. Um, and, and this is something that I've actually rapped on a couple of times in our podcast where I said, like, you know, I don't really feel like a majority of church is challenging. I feel like it's about getting those numbers in the door. And, yeah, if they were – the hard part is if I believe that churches at their very – I think in their mission and what they say is they are very much about uh, the sanctification or peop- more people buying into the message of Jesus Christ, then I think it'd be different. But I still believe that a majority of churches, and as somebody who, you know, who worked in one, I still think that there isn't, like, they understand that they are working for a a nonprofit organization and they need money. Like, right. So it's about getting people in. It's not necessarily about, 
saving them. Uh, I mean, it kind of is because when you do that, they become member. That's the whole thing about the membership. Like, there's nothing biblically about being a member. Does everybody realize that, right? Like, there's nothing that, like, being a member of a church that's, like, the a status of membership. Yeah, it's a modern in, uh, invention. It's, it's, yeah, it was like, that's... That's actually to get you to tithe more. Did you know that? Like, that's a that's the invention. Well, yeah, I mean, to, <laughs> probably you when it's you want to have a church that has some kind of an understanding of who's going and how often and all that kind of. But that doesn't require membership, right? And it exactly. doesn't require a lot of the hoops that have to be right. And all of that is for metrics to be jumped. But even when you were, when and then there's the fine line with. Well, you can keep coming. I mean, this is just literally had this discussion last night with somebody of, well, we'd be open to having like a gay couple there, but there's no way they could become members. So, all right. Well, what does membership mean? Well, yeah. I couldn't really describe what membership was. Like, okay, then who care? Who? No gay couple is going to want to join your silly, crummy membership anyway. So. Yeah. Do they give out? Do they have to be members in order to serve? No. Okay, then who cares? Then then it's just a number on a like, is there like some secret service they don't get to go to like a launch party for the new? No, it's nine times out of ten. It's you have the right to vote on whenever they. You have the right to the vote, vote, and then you were the first ones to ask for paying for paying new shit when the church decides to. Yeah, buy exactly. New shit. Yeah. Oh you wow. You into a room and say. You're our members, and you're our most generous giver, so we're going to lean on you to give more, which, you know, that's fine, but Which, still. just so we're clear, um, the church that we went to previously where they had uh, members' meetings and all that kind of stuff, uh, they didn't even check if we were all wearing jackets. Um, <laughs> I have so. a story to tell about that, <laughs> about the previous church and their latest when we get off. Yeah, and we, now. we had our – I was like, geez, I – Nobody here is wearing their members only jackets. Like I don't, I don't know who, I don't like. Don't I have to have like a card that I swipe? Yeah, right. Like no, like nobody, them. nobody. There was no discerning thing at all. Nobody was sitting there. Nope, they combing just counted the crowd. heads. Yep, they didn't. We give, have a quorum. We can vote. They didn't give a damn about whether or not you. Oh, so, okay, we're, let's stay, I, I want to tease on this even more, this is a total side thing, but this is what the, I don't know, side like, podcast is great, so, I actually, you know, I just joke, we just joke that they didn't check whether or not you're a member, and the implication that non-members were showing up, the actual, as much as you're listening, yeah, that's probably the case, the actual, the opposite is actually true, no one who was unsure bothered to show up because they were concerned. They didn't know if they were a member or not. So all it actually does is reduce it. It disencourages people from participating in things that they should be at to participate because they're like, well, I don't know if I'm a member or not. Honey, do you know for members? I don't know. I I don't know. Well, then we're just not going to go because if they said it's a members only thing. When no, you're new members or you're new attenders. Please show up. Tell us all of the glaring flaws that we don't see because we've been sit we've been in this church some of us our entire lives and we're 60 years old and I've had my grandkids come in here or I've been here 10 years or whatever. Tell us the dumb things we don't see anymore because yeah, we just show up to church every you Sunday. Need, you but. need to have skin in the game in order enough to buy property. 
You have to have attended here for a year. It doesn't even make sense. Like, okay, you attended here for a year, and all of a sudden you get to vote whether or not, like, you get to build a million-dollar building? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. I don't... It's so dumb. Uh, so... It's also dumb, because when it goes south, the pastor still gets uh, blamed, even though the church voted on it, so... Yeah, the pastor should never... Well... I was like, a pastor should be blamed for it, but we're not going to talk about it. Uh, All right, so we got two more, but before we do commercial break, what is the third beer we're drinking? Third or fourth? We're on the fourth beer. Fourth beer. Oh, wait. Okay, we, third we, we beer. Third beer. That's right. Third beer, ladies and gentlemen. We're drinking a North Coast Brewing Company IPA. Uh, that one is tasty. Pacific Magic. It was really good. Really tasty. It's got Willie on it. Um, he's he's free out there in the North water. Coast is mostly known for their Belgian Abbey beers and stuff like uh, uh, stouts and stuff like that. I grabbed that specifically because I wondered how good they'd pull off an IPA. And man, that is really a classic good. West Coast IPA. Very good. It's really good. And then after that, we have our yeah, it is our big sexy, um, which I think also Amy, uh, which is the brewing one. company. Uh, big sexy. It's just their West Coast IPA. And um, it is a mouthful. Uh, bring sexy back is what they're asking for it's it's interesting um it's got a punch uh it's definitely not the worst one that we drank today because that (laughs) belongs to belgian beaver um but yeah it's good oh it had to happen at some point you know we've held belgian beaver on a pedestal for so long and at some point you know they had to hey we have talked about though that belgian beaver has a certain flavor profile and it's there on across all of their beers so if you're sitting there and you say every beer that i have from belgian beaver tastes the same I don't think that they necessarily taste the same. Well, IPAs. They the have way. that. Fl- they but they do flavor. have that flavor it, where it's that, just like, why is this is here that? in every beer? And it's in that, um, but also a bunch of other ass. Yeah, so. exactly. So I was like, I will say that. We've also knocked down stone, like, you know, off their pedestal because I'm holding up this dumb freaking can that Tim is wanting to commemorate because <laughs> this beer was awful. I took this over to a friend's house. I took the other two beers over there. Um, cause right. I had a four pack. And so I had one and I was like, I'm not drinking this ever again. And then I had you try it and you were like, I'm not drinking this ever again. He was adamant. I don't think Tim's ever been adamant about, uh, Hey, uh, take your beer, uh, on your way out. Uh, it's usually just like, we'll just leave it in there. And he was like, um, Hey, don't forget your beer. Uh, so I took it over and had, uh, our buddies, Eric and Alec try it. And they were like, yeah, I don't ever want to drink this ever again. So how it goes but that being said we don't show just nothing but love to our brewmasters um out there sorry folks it's a chaotic day in the tim house people coming in and out it's a it got unseasonable. Is it unseasonably warm? Probably is a little unseasonably warm. It is un. I so actually no. Technically, over to swim and technically right now it is not unseasonably warm for our area. But as there's there not like, been this warm in a while. Yeah, there was weeks. like a three week dip where it was it was like coming down to like the seventies and all that kind of stuff, and definitely was in ninety five yeah, so or whatever. It was I was to be about ready to right off the pool and start doing the hot tub but anyway got grandchildren over here swimming in the pool so number four people are leaving primarily on the secular left this is another counterintuitive one 
The earliest to de church in the late 1980s to mid-90s were more left-leaning politically, but by, by 2023, evangelicals are de-churching at, at almost twice the pace on the political uh, right political flank than they are on the left. Admittedly, there are fewer de-churching from the secular left because many of those places of our people have already left the church. Still, for discernible groups, right-wing politics has supplanted church from a belonging standpoint. People who find meaningful community in political spaces have lower motivation to keep going to church, so ministers must be leaders who can see and respond to challenges that come from multiple directions at once. Okay, so one, I agree with that sentence. Too many people on the right have allowed their politics become the end-all, be-all, and replace their Christianity as their main uh, motivating factor for how they look, the way they look at the world and what they do. Two, and I think it doesn't say here, I'm a little surprised it doesn't say this. It might be in the book. I think too many, look, there were a lot of things about COVID that I did not like. I did not like the way the even uh, heavy-handedness heavy of a lot of government, particularly in California. That said, there, there were too many people at church who allowed COVID to become a thing that got in the way of them and their church. Yeah. One, we have said it, I have said it, both of us have said it many times. One of the things that we love about our pastor is he does not run from a fight. He shut the church down much longer than I would have been comfortable with. But I very much said, if that's what he wants to do, then he's the boss. That's what we're going to do. And I'm not going to leave and go to another church because he decides to follow what the state and uh, county officials were telling for medical and not pick a fight. That said, I don't have a problem with some of the churches, particularly since we're in California. There, there's a big church up in the Bay Area, John MacArthur's church, picked very big fights and said, how can strip strip clubs be open but not churches i don't have a again the church needs to be doing there needs to be a right hand and a left hand of the church i have no problem with the churches who picked a fight when it, a fight was necessary i also don't have a problem with our church saying we're going to do whatever the government says because one we're mennonites so that's what we do so we're just not going to pick a fight but two because a lot of us our church is what it is and i think Probably our pastor is a little more liberal politically than most of the people going. I'm in no illusion that the majority of that church is still very conservative. Yeah. The fact that people stuck around, that's what needed to be done. And I think a lot of people had pastors who didn't want to pick a fight either for theological reasons or they were concerned of having the door shuttered or fined. And people got you decided we need to make this the issue. Somehow Christianity stands upon this that we get to meet. And so what did you do? You left. Not only did you not do you leave the church, you just left church altogether, which is a complete contradiction to why you were pissed off because church shut down. Because yeah. you decided to make politics a big thing about it. Because angry orange man told you to get angry angry about it. And so it stands to reason that I think a lot of churches 
there and it might and it's probably not just COVID. It's other things where churches are like, I'm just not going to pick a fight over this. And you got people who are more conservative than they are Christian showing up and saying, we need to be angry about this. And yeah. you're not angry enough, and so I'm just going to leave church altogether. Well, and and my kickback is on this particular one is I feel like that if if people from the left are leaving, it's because of that attitude of of people that are hard right telling them they're like, well, good riddance or whatever, and it's like. Like I said before, there's people out there that believe that if you're associated with the secular left, then you can't be a Christian, which I, that doesn't even make sense. I, I, and it's also very hard because it's like, so for anybody that's a conservative that's listening to this, whether you like it or not, the secular left, so to speak, is actually more concerned with human rights um, than conservatives are and right uh and for and for the care of other human beings more than conservatives are whether you like that or not as far as politically on the spectrum goes and you may get insulted by me saying this but yet if you're sitting there complaining about why your tax dollars are going to food stamps then obviously you are not on then then again you are not your tax dollars in your because that's your money and you feel that way so aggressively about it you're like this is my money this is my money um but if it gets forcibly taken from you to be able to be given to somebody else then you're upset about it and here's the thing and and this is what history has taught us whether you like it or not you can sit there and you can say well i give the charities and blah 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 history has taught us that if somebody doesn't forcibly take it from you to give it to somebody else you will not give it to somebody else or you will give a significantly smaller portion than what was given right? yeah the whole tax the tax argument would be much better if the church was giving more money to the church for that money to be given to you know not just keep buildings up but the the statistics have been there's been plenty of research for decades. Most of you going to church aren't put, giving your money to the church. No. So therefore, now I think, now I will say this. I think when the state, when the state comes in and says, we're going to be the ward who takes care of people, I think people then start saying, well, then I'm going to give my, pay my taxes and then I don't need to pay the church. And I, that's my, one of my problem, one of my reasons why I am against big government. However, that is also excuse making for the church, which we have railed against many a time on this podcast. We won't get to it today, but we will have it. We will talk about it again. The church uses its facilities for insular things. They are not outward focused things. So most of your money is for inward ministries, not outward ministries. So the excuse of. So, yeah, well, why would I give my money? We have a mutual friend, Jonathan, has a hard time giving money to whatever church he's going to. Why? Because 90, 95% of the budget's going to paying pastors, electricity, and the rent or the mortgage on the property. And 
maybe 10% is going to missions work. And how much of that missions work is actually doing anything other than handing out Bibles and, you know, not really effective missions work. And so when you have people like that going, I'm not giving my money because it's just all for programs. Yeah. And, and again, this is that idea where it's, when, especially when we're talking about politically where, and, and I get the liber I get the libertarianism, um, ideals of, you know, but what we have found time and time again, over and over again, even with the conservatives that still want some government involvement, blah, 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 what you end up finding, and whether you like it or not, and actually this is biblically based, is that people are selfish. Yeah. And they only think about themselves. And so if you give it time, people are going to be, oh, I missed my payment, I did this, or whatever, and... and and they don't set it back up again, especially if it's not a forced expense. Right. Um, that'll just be how it is. And so um, so for for people on the secular left to be caring for those people that are, that are there and they sympathize um, with a lot of the things that are going on um, and those people that are struggling, um, those are things that we all should be doing. So if you're sitting there and you're the type on the secular right so to speak and you're sitting there and you're griping and complaining over the fact that your your tax dollars are going to feed some family or whatever and they're squandering away their money just so we're clear jesus christ doesn't want you to care about that it's not about that right it's about what you are doing it's not about what they do with it your responsibility is to care for them it's not for you to sit there and tell them what to do with it, what the care that you gave them. Right. Um, so that's where it's just, it's a bizarre experience and it's it's perverse in our culture. And so, um, so anybody that sits there and says that secular left people are not a part of the faith um, and that's why they're leaving um, because they can't really... They can't really cope with both of those. I think that if there's anybody from the secular left that's leaving, it's because uh, people from the secular right are forcibly pushing them out um, and making them feel like they're less than. Well, you know, as they point out, the 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 left leaning churches, which is probably best understood, if you're more, well, what is that? Some Methodist variation variations of the methodist church lutheran church uh, episcopal church those those have always tended to be more politically liberal or li- liberal minded people go to um always been a much more like you said um progressive no well, no not progressive but uh much more uh worldly in their ministry i would say than spiritual it, again it they're more they that a lot of those churches are more inclined to be like soup kitchens and stuff like that before yeah. evangelical. Anyway, it is true those churches started dying. I'm not going to get into the reasons why, mainly because as this study points out, a lot of conceptions as to why things died out are not necessarily true. But it is true a lot of those churches and people left those churches in the 80s and 90s. There are still yes, there are still Episcopal Methodist lutheran churches around but if you are someone like most people who want to go to a we're attracted to things that seem to be successful 
And if you're in a town like ours, ours being Tulare and Visalia, and you're looking for a successful church, those are, to be perfectly frank, Protestant, or, or not Protestant, but evangelical-leaning churches. Yeah. And just because you're, let's say, nominally a Lutheran, yeah, you might still go to the Lutheran church, but you might be looking for that place that seems to be, they got something going on there. My point is, let's just, just for argument's sake, it's hard to find successful, really healthy, growing churches on the left. I don't mean to disparage people, but let's just, for the, for the argument I'm trying to make, You have got to make your church to where it can be diverse, to where it is not pigeonholing itself as a right-wing church, left-wing church. Yeah. You and I both value collecting friends who don't see eye-to-eye on things, on, on a lot of key things, and being able to say, I have a friend, and we vehemently disagree on these things. And yeah, we rarely talk about them, but when we do, we don't lose friendship over it, and we just agree to disagree because... Having that friendship and being able to say, I completely disagree. I think you're wrong. And the other person saying, I think you're wrong. I still love you. We need churches that will do that. And that takes both a pastor who will insist on that, which is what ours does. But it also takes you folks sitting in your in the seat saying, I am willing to have someone that I don't agree with come to this church. And I'm not going to speak ill of them when they do. So when they show up, let's say the left wing shows up, we don't make comments that make them feel like they are less than or not Christian. Yeah. And I think that one takes leadership from the pulpit of the pastor to say, shut the hell up on things that don't really matter. Your politics, I could give a damn about. And these are things that matter. And everything else... If you got a problem with it, too bad. Yep. We're not going to argue over those things. All right, last one. Last one. They aren't willing to come back. Come back. Misconception number five. The single best piece of good news to come from our study is now is that more than half of those who have left evangelical churches are willing to come back right now. That's nearly 8 million de-churched evangelicals who are willing to come back to church. The reasons why they're willing to come back vary from group to group, but on the whole, people are looking for two things, healthy relationships and a local church that actively demonstrates how the gospel is true, good, and beautiful. That's a loaded three words right there. (laughs) Those two factors are almost entirely within our control, meaning within the control of their study. Not Wait, does that... Oh, no. Okay. Not within the study. Church leaders can now grow in their ability to exercise relational wisdom and build healthy communities. Our local churches can grow institutionally to be bolder and clearer with our doctrine, religious affection, and cultural engagement. I th- Okay. So, I want, I agree with this is a misconception. Their solution to the problem, I don't agree with. I, 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 it's, not that I, it's not that they're wrong. It's that they're... they're it's a failure of imagination to understand, I think, what's going on. And I think it goes back to what you and I have talked about many times. It is not just it, – it, this isn't a problem of reimagining evangelicalism or reimagining or, or reframing this or that and the other. It is a 
reimagining what the mission and the vision is of every church sitting at a corner of a street in your city. And too many of them are all talk. I'm going to stop right here. I find it frustrating that the younger generations of, than mine all talk about doing things. Because I find it part a little bit Pollyanna and... Um, yeah, Pollyanna. However, the younger generations are much more about trying to change the world than talk about it and make make change in their community than the older ones are. And if you want to attract them, stop talking on Sundays and do shit. Yeah. And that's hard to do when you got a $10 million building that you still have to pay off or it's been paid off, but you still got to fill it because everyone, the old timers still, no, how about we're going to do one Sunday, maybe not, we'll, let's not get all crazy here once a month, but every quarter, we're going to meet here on a Sunday. We're all going to show up at the parking lot. We're going to park our cars. And then we're all going to divvy up stuff and go hand them out in the poor <laughs> section of town. I have no idea if that would work, but I think that's the kind of stuff that would get people to come back to church who are in that 20 to 30 range than just showing up and hearing a bunch of, yes, do they want community? Yes, they're seeking community because we have, because of digital and now we're living in our own little homes and we've become our own little world, I think people are really desperate for community, but I don't think showing up on Sundays or even small groups on Wednesdays at church campus is going to fill that view of community you want to get community have people doing and in the process of doing getting to know one another <sighs> i agree don't agree at the same time okay good so i think that i think that there is an element of things that you need to do but the hard part is like the, and as with most things is there has to be a level of and you can hate me for saying this, but I feel like there has to be a level of sex appeal to the activity that it is that they're doing. <laughs> Especially for people my age, you have to promote it. There's like there's communication pastors that are being sure. hired on every site uh, to promote these things. And there's videos being taken of every single thing. There's pictures being taken because you have to make it almost like, I hate to say this, but Instagram worthy oh, absolutely, yeah. to be there. So like, for example, the church that we, and this is where I feel like it flops in some aspects where it's like, you could technically at the church that we were at previously, you could have done something every single Saturday by participating in the soup kitchen. Correct. But nobody ever signed up. It was like pulling teeth to get people to sign up for the soup kitchen. So like I'm saying, there's there's a certain level of sex appeal that needs to that needs to happen in order for people my age to to get involved. In my opinion, I think that there is something that's good to say that, although I I, I feel like it's still very surface level, where there's this idea that people aren't willing to come back. I do think that that is a misconception. I think that if you ask most people, they're like, oh yeah, I am. But I think this goes back to kind of what we were talking about before, where. I think that they want to go to church because they feel like it is something 
that they're supposed to do. They you know what? That is a great order. point. That that is a phenomenal point. And so we're you know this is early October, a year out from the election. Donald Trump is killing it in the polls, but there's a lot of people saying like, yeah, it's a soft though because everyone's just like pollster calls up and you say, yeah, I'm gonna vote for Donald Trump, but people are they're not. We'll see a year from now, but yeah, there's an argument to be made. People aren't really haven't made up their mind. That's Donald Trump has 100% name recognition, so it's just yeah, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. Perfect. This is that. This is. Do you think you're going to go back to church? Who's going to say no? Never. I'm not going to go back to church. Yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe in all this, that, and the other. But you're asking me if I'm going to go back to church? No. Yeah, I know. So is this the? It's the uh, Bradley effect, which is people lying to their pollster. Well, the the only person that's going to sit there and say that no is the people from the misconception number one that have been actually hurt by the yeah. church. Those are the people that are going to sit there and say no. Well, yeah, that, that, you know, that's a great point. So I I just I don't know how legit it is. With again, I I think that all those misconceptions about you know this that and the other, and they said that you know moving. Um, and again, it's that idea of it's not a priority for you. It's just not. And you need to be honest with yourself about it where you're just like, yeah, I, I don't really feel like it's a priority. And then ask yourself, why is it not a priority? And make sure that you have good reasons. Um, so like I've disclosed it a couple times on this podcast where it's like, and Tim, you disclosed it where it's like, you know, I go and I recharge and I feel better. And, you know, there, there's something to be said about it, that kind of stuff. I don't think you're fully on the whole thing of like I cannot do without church, that kind of stuff. And even then, I don't even know if I can necessarily go without church. I, I still think that I need to go every once in a while. because uh, But even then, I don't even know if that stems from – a biblical or spiritual place or if that's something just i feel out of obligation that i need to do because of the social norm of going to church and how that is often equated with uh your spiritual health if i go and i have a conversation with my mother-in-law um and she asks if you've been to church um on sunday i feel terrible when i say that no i haven't but do I feel terrible about it any other time, especially when I'm having conversations with people that understand why it is that I just don't necessarily go and that kind of stuff? Right. But because there are people out there that believe that you're supposed to go to church every single Sunday, um, it's just kind of interesting. So kind of a weird psychological thing that I think happens to a lot of people. Well, so let's wrap it up with two thoughts that kind of go to the overall what this synopsis of this book and the study is saying. I, one thing, one, it's clear church is not sticky. It's lost its stickiness. Uh, my guess is that stickiness started before COVID. And so too, when you ha- when we have these civilizational events like covid they always expose things that are kind of bubbling up within society and so 
you know, COVID comes along and we all wake, and as Americans, we all find out, oh, damn, we've, our supply chain all resides all in China and Southeast Asia. This is a really bad idea. Now we don't have parts to do things. And I think what COVID did was expose church as not being sticky. And once people were sent home and literally told by their government, you cannot go to church, people were like, you know what? I didn't go and I don't feel any worse for not going because we're either not providing purpose like what I was talking about or we're not providing true community. And it also just might be that this industrial well it's an industrial age model based on a (laughs) ancient temple worship model for being really accurate and cynical it might have run its course and going to church is not the way for not only christianity but a lot of other faiths to operate on i mean the muslims still go but that's ritualistic Christianity is by nature supposed to be rather not ritualistic. We have our few. We have our, we have doing communion and a few other, you know, going to Easter and Christmas. But we're supposed to be about not many rituals. We have our Lord's Prayer too. Um, So, it seems, so all that. As we keep, as we say every time we talk about this, the church is in the middle of, profound reorganization rethinking i don't know what the answer is nobody knows the answer but uh the answer is welcome to another podcast where uh tim and colton (laughs) are making a claim for home church but don't do do home church but don't do home church (laughs) thank you for participating if you want to tell us to go to hell for thinking that uh, feel free (laughs) (laughs) i had andy on last week and I'm once we were done recording, I realized I missed an opportunity to put him on the spot, put him on the hot seat, and say, "Why don't you and your family go to church?" But maybe we can get him on and have him explain. Yeah, we're here to shame you, Andy. <laughs> shame, shame. Yeah, shame, shame. Please defend yourself in front of all these people, Andy. All right. Well, we hope you've enjoyed another marathon episode of the Go to Hell podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and view wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're Matthew McConaughey, a Texas Longhorn fan, you can go to hell. Nice. <laughs>